well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So there's a passage that I keep coming back to. It's one that's become something uh, of my favorite. It's a story that takes place in Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul is for the third time giving a statement of his faith. He is before Festus and also King Agrippa. And so for the third time, he is declaring what he believes, that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived, died, and rose from the dead. And that he is a follower of Jesus. And so he articulates it, and I think he does such a beautiful job of explaining what it is that he believes. And as he is explaining what he believes, Festus interrupts him. And they have this back and forth exchange, starting in Acts chapter 26. It says this. At this point, verse 24, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. And I find this two-verse section here to be a statement, I think, that is something that many Christians experience. When we proclaim what we believe, When we say that, yes, Jesus is Lord, that he did come to earth, that he did die, that he has risen from the dead, and I'm going to live my life following Jesus, that sometimes the response to that is one like Festus has towards Paul. It's a response of, you're crazy. This is insane. How could you believe this? And the question for us is, are we going to be like Paul and respond in a similar way by saying, this isn't crazy? What we believe is true and reasonable. And we see this contrast that takes place where there are those that believe that the idea that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, is insane. And there are those that believe that this is the way. This week we're starting a new series and we're going to be going through this for the next five weeks and it's called This is the Way. And to some of you that phrase may sound a little familiar. It's a four-word phrase that is also kind of a four-word phrase. It says something just in those four words, that short sentence. And this sentence, This is the Way, comes from uh, a popular television show that the second season is about to come out actually next week. Very timely, right? We, just, we decided to have this series. And this series came out a year ago, and my son Ethan and I, we decided to watch it, and it's called The Mandalorian. And it's connected to a movie series that you may have heard before. It's called Star Wars. Um, Some people like it. I know some of you are like, oh my goodness, please don't talk about Star Wars. I get it, okay? I don't think it's the greatest trilogy ever in the history of the world. I think the greatest trilogy is actually Toy Story, but that's that's another thing, okay? And so Star Wars, there's a lot of Star Wars fans out there, and this show is actually, it's pretty good. And in this show, there is this group of people called the Mandalorian, and there's this statement that they say to each other, and the statement is, this is the way. And it's this statement that communicates a lot just in four words. It's this idea of this is the path that we should go. This is right. This is the direction. This is what you should believe and how you should move forward with it. 
And this idea, this statement of this is the way, I think can also have some meaning for us as followers of Jesus. There's some meaning there in it. As followers of Jesus, this statement feels different when it's applied to being a Christian. It's a declarative statement that we know the way. We know the way to purpose. We know the way to meaning, to fulfillment. We know the way to life after this life here on earth. We know the way. And so what I want us to do together is I want us to look at another story in Scripture. And so if you would go with me to an upstairs room where Jesus and his disciples are gathered together to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Passover. And while they're feasting and while they're retelling the story of God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, Jesus explains to them that he is about to leave them. Knowing that the cross is just hours away, he tells them in John chapter 13, verse 33, he says this. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, this is pretty upsetting to his friends. And Peter, who is always the first to react, he asks for more information. And in verse 36, he says this. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then in verse 38, Jesus responds by saying this, Will you really lay down your life for me? Will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And as Peter thinks over Jesus' harsh and hard words to him, Jesus now turns and addresses the whole group. And in John chapter 14, with great love, Jesus will speak some of the most startling and powerful words of his entire ministry. And I want you, as we hear this, to hear how personal he gets with his followers in the opening verses. So here's what he says. John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And then in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then in verse 4, it says, You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, let's look at what's happening here. Jesus is telling them about where he's going. He's going to heaven. He's going to where the Father is. They'll be separated for a time. But while they're apart, Jesus is going to be working on a place for them, which of course means he's going to be coming back for them. And then he adds this sentence there in verse 4 where he says, And you know the way to the place where I'm going? You already know the road that leads to heaven? And it's almost like Jesus has deliberately planted this to grab our attention and curiosity. Jesus says, I already know something. And it's difficult for me to pull up what it is that I know. Did I miss a point that he had mentioned earlier in one of his teachings? Thankfully, Thomas refused to pretend to understand when he didn't. And so he doesn't care if he looks silly or ignorant. And so he wants to know. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that question by Thomas is, I think, a question that all of us ask how can we know the way? Like, how can we be sure that this is the way? How can we know? 
And it feels fair to ask. We want to know the answer. I believe this is a question that we're constantly searching for, whether we realize it or not. And now we're ready for one of the most riveting statements Jesus ever made. And the statement that Jesus is about to make, it sets him apart from everyone else. And so this one line alone, it's spoken in a quiet, hushed tone to a small group in an upstairs room. And this statement that Jesus is about to make is why his followers are persecuted and why people like Festus view Paul as crazy. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answers Thomas and all of us, and he says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that statement, it categorically tells you that one way is right and every other way is wrong. It's all or nothing. It's either or. And so I want us to think for a moment about the full meaning of Jesus' words when he says this. See, Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way. There's no confusion. There's no stumbling. There's no uncertainty. Jesus is being as clear as he can be. He says, I am the way. And by that, he's also saying, what the way is not. The way to heaven is not a religious system. The way to heaven is not a set of spiritual teachings to follow. The way cannot be found in ourselves or in our best efforts. The way is Jesus. And Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going because you know me. And the minute that we reduce the path to where Jesus is going, the where we're going to go eventually, down to a list of do's and don'ts, or when we try to come up with an alternative approach to getting right with God the Father, when we do that, we've put ourselves on a path to destruction. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And so this provides some of the framework for that discussion that Festus and Paul have together, where Festus believes, oh man, it's crazy to think this way. And Paul says, no, this, this is true and reasonable. It provides the same framework for the conversations and discussions that we have with others, where someone might look at us following Jesus with our entire life and think that's crazy, but we can know, now this is, this is true, this is right, this is reasonable. And the audacity of Jesus' statement to make this claim that he is the way, when we think about a way, a way does something, a way links two things together. Jesus, as the way, he is the link between sinful human beings and a holy God. Without Jesus, there is no way to God. If we want to be reconciled with a holy God, if we want to cross the gap of sin that separates you from him, if you want to go where Jesus is going, the only way to do that is through Jesus. He goes on in a statement, he says, I am the truth. And when he says, I am the truth, he means, trust me in this. Count on what I'm saying to you. I'm about to pay for your forgiveness with my blood. I cannot love you more than I do. And so we need to hear Jesus clearly. He says, I am not giving you truth. I am the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We can trust Jesus. And he says, I am the life. And when he says, I am the life, he means there is a kind of life that is only a shadow of what God created it to be. Life without Jesus is like an echo. It's at best the fading reflection of the real thing. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. But the life that Jesus gives us is abundant and eternal. It outlasts a few years that we have here. 
It easily outshines what the world can offer. And so Jesus, he's saying, I'm not here to point you to this kind of life. Jesus is saying, I am the life. There's an author, Tim Keller, and he has a quote where he says, It is no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions, namely that all are equal, is right. And so what Keller is saying is that any stance that we take, whether it's Christianity or whether it's that, hey, all paths can lead to God, religious pluralism, whatever way you want to go, that leads you to God. Whichever one you choose inherently prefers one perspective or way over others. And so there is nothing essentially narrow-minded about believing that Jesus is the only way to God. Either option is, in a sense, narrow-minded. And so now Jesus could have stopped right there, and it would have been enough to keep us on the edge of our seats and wonder, but he doesn't stop there. He ups the ante even more when he adds this. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Basically, that means that we can add the word only to each preceding phrase. Basically, Jesus is saying, I am the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. And this is the primary statement of importance. Jesus is not saying that by learning from him or by following his example, people can know God more. Jesus doesn't merely point to the way. He is the way. And so now, maybe we hear this and this assertion that Jesus is the only way. Maybe it bothers some people. Maybe it bothers you a little bit. Maybe you find yourself agreeing with those who think that Christianity is too narrow or a bit arrogant or too insistent. And so it just seems that God maybe should be great enough to make multiple ways to heaven. And so I want to suggest a counter to this idea as we wrap up our time together. I think the idea that the only way to God is through Jesus is actually pretty wonderful. And there's three reasons for that. Jesus as the way is wonderful because it's clear. When you're trying to get somewhere, what you need is clarity. Okay, let's, let's do an illustration together. I want us all to go on an imaginary trip. We're going to take a vacation, okay? And let's say you decide you want to go on a vacation to New York City, and you're going to buy a plane ticket. Why you would buy a plane ticket to New York City during a pandemic, I don't know. But you're doing it, and so you buy a plane ticket, and you wait till you get to the airport to do it, which isn't wise, but you buy a plane ticket to New York City at the airport. And your flight number is flight 2021 to New York City. And next to the flight number, it says gates 21 through 29. Well, that doesn't make much sense to you. It doesn't feel very specific. But you head down to that area, figuring that someone will point you to the proper gate when you get there. When you arrive, you find that none of the gates have signs on them indicating the flight number or the destination. So you're confused by this. You see that there are planes out there and that there's people waiting to board, but you don't know where any of them are going. And so you turn to some of your fellow travelers and you ask, hey, which of these flights is going to New York City? And they turn to you and they say, oh, we were just discussing that. John over here, he likes the look of that 747 out there. And so he's going to go through, through gate 26. But 22 is my favorite number. It's always been my lucky number. And so I'm going to take gate 22. Some lady nearby says, you know, my son-in-law travels all the time. He knows all about airports. And he said last time he went to New York City, he went out of gate 25. So that's what I'm going to take. And then you say, as you're hearing all this, you say, yeah, but how do you know it's going to New York City? And she answers, well, who can really know anything for sure? 
I figure I've got as good a chance as anybody of getting on the right plane. Finally, you can't take it anymore. And so you go to the desk and you ask, which of these flights is flight 2021 to New York City? And that staff member says, listen, it's not our policy to tell people which gate that they have to fly out of. That would be pretty narrow-minded of us, wouldn't it? I mean, there are all of these wonderful planes, and they all have hardworking crews and sincere passengers. Who are we to say that one is better than another? Take whichever one you want. They're all going somewhere. That'd be frustrating, right? It'd be ridiculous. It would be irresponsible. It would be just as ridiculous as it is to suggest that all roads, all paths lead to heaven. It would be just as irresponsible as to withhold information that can help people get to where they want to go. If you don't care where you spend eternity, then it doesn't matter which road you take. But if you want to go to heaven, if you want to spend eternity with God the Father, you'd better be sure that you're on the right track. That's the wonderful thing about this narrow way that Jesus described. It is clearly marked so you know what's required of you. And so this way of Jesus is wonderful because it is so clear, but it's also wonderful because it actually works. What Jesus promises, he delivers on. He can get you to where you want to go most. He can get you to heaven forever with God. He can give you what you want most, freedom from sin and real purpose in life. And I can say this boldly for a couple of reasons. One is that Jesus personally demonstrated what he said. He spoke the most profound words the world has ever heard. He lived the most remarkable, influential life in human history. He healed diseases. He commanded the forces of nature. He raised people from the dead. He voluntarily died in the place of sinners like us. And he was resurrected from the dead just as he said he would. Jesus stands alone in his claims and in his actions. And the second reason is this. There are untold millions of people who have followed Jesus and have testified that he has, in fact, transformed their lives. And we can say, like Paul, with clarity that we believe that this Jesus who rose from the dead is the way to life with God. We can know with confidence that because of Jesus, we have been forgiven, we've been delivered, and we've been transformed. And so we can believe that this way is wonderful because it's clear and it actually works. And the last thing is it's wonderful because it's available to anyone. This path, this way is not exclusive to a certain type of person. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account, what race or gender you are. It doesn't matter where you live. The path of Jesus, the way of Jesus is available to anyone, to all who believe to all who obey the gospel, who give their lives to Christ. And yes, there is a cost involved with it. Jesus makes that explicitly clear as well. But it's worth it. The way of Jesus is worth it. And so here's what's at stake. And you can hear Jesus' bold statement. And you can conclude that it's intolerant or pushy or arrogant for Jesus to say that he is the only way to God. Or what we can do is see what Jesus is doing as the most loving act in history. That Jesus is a way that is prepared for you. And there's a lot of emphasis that's put on knowing where you want to go. I think it's more important to know who you want to follow. I choose to follow Jesus. My hope is that you choose to follow Jesus. That you recognize that this is the way. 
that following Jesus is the way, is the path that you're going to take. This morning, maybe you're here and maybe you have made the decision to follow Jesus, but you've gotten a little lost on your way. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need some prayers or encouragement because of what's going on in your life right now. The way is difficult and it's tricky. Jesus never promised that the way was going to be easy. But he does promise us that he will deliver us. And so if you need to cut back on track, if you need to get back on the right way, we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. Or if you're here and you have not yet chosen to give your life to Christ through baptism, we want to give you that opportunity as well. This is the way. And so if you're here this morning and you want to respond to the invitation, won't you come now as together we stand and sing.